This year should be for the Eloi Neshama of Rafael Yaakov Ben David Menashe. Last week, uh, it really was a very important year because I went into the concept of what's the bottom line? What does God really want from a person? And I went into the idea, I explained that essentially we are involved now, after the sin of Adam, in a world whereby there is a contest between the self, means an individual thinking that he exists independent of God, and God, in the sense that God is the only thing that really exists, His will is the only thing that exists, and certainly therefore you have to do what He says. So there's a self versus God contest, so to speak. And everything in this world, all the situations you find yourself in, all the qualities of this world, the possibilities, ultimately challenge you to declare one or the other. Either you're doing it for yourself, self-interest, right? And that's all the concept of, you know, physical pleasure, doing more productivity, again, for, for oneself, it is really about the uh, successes and achievements that an individual wants for himself. In other words, the self dominates as a motive for everything he does. And then there's the other side, where a person is dominated, by, not by his self-interest, but by a declaration that since God uh, is, uh, his will is the only thing that really exists, and therefore he is the only thing really that exists, ain't no Therefore, everything he does ultimately is for the sake and for the glory of God. Now, that's a challenge. That's a tremendous challenge. And what God did is he created a whole series of possibilities that will force a person to bring out uh, these ideas. And in the end, you are judged by this, what I call the SG ratio, the the self versus God ratio. Does your life consist mostly of what you think of what you did for yourself? Or does it, and, and somewhat of, you know, uh, of God, or most of it is what you think is for the sake of God, His honor, and so on, his, to declare His oneness, and so on. And some of it was for yourself. And that, in the end, is really what the judgment is about. Why? Because I mentioned last week, that in Ilam Habo, the basic experience in the future world is where you are attached to God. And in that attachment, in that experience, you feel the oneness of God. You feel the existence of God. And in that way, since you emanate from Him, you actually come to terms with your own existence on a much greater degree. And that is infinitely pleasurable. And that itself will grow from nanosecond to nanosecond in the future world. And therefore, that's what God judge, judges you on. To what extent were you self-involved? And to what extent were you God-involved? And we strive with that formula. You know, it's very difficult. We live in a world which is completely physical. There's a lot of physical stuff going on here. There's all kinds of pleasures, involvements, sensory delights. I mean, there's like a you know, a thousand things going on in this world that you can easily become uh, involved with the self and promoting self-existence, you know. 
So in many ways, it's very difficult. And I mentioned many things um, that that uh, the, uh, the, that the mitzvahs are based on to try to help yourself. One of the things I mentioned, which I think is worth repeating, is the concept of chesed, kindness. Why is God so into kindness? You know, that chesed, that you should do good for others, help them out, benefit them, right? And the idea to that, other than it's being very nice, I mean, it's very lofty, as they say, but what it really does is a denial of self. Because when your concern is for somebody else, that automatically means you're minimizing your own self-involvement, your own feeling about who you are, you see? And you're involving yourself in somebody else's welfare, well-being. So in that way, you know, it's much easier, therefore, to put self aside and to be concerned about other people, you see? So that helps you. Another, another thing I mentioned, which is extremely important, and that's the logic of it, is why do people suffer? What does suffering do? You see, and obviously punishment consists of suffering. And the idea to that is because when a person suffers, he realizes that he's a nobody. Because if he was somebody, he'd be able to get out of that, right? So when a person suffers, and, and therefore obviously it clearly demonstrates to him, that he's completely unable to throw off the suffering, remove the suffering, it is clear demonstration of his uh, really being, really not in control, and basically his whole concept of, I'm somebody and I can do whatever I want, is severely diminished, you see. And that is me, the connected me, that to the extent that you deny self, to that extent, it's more possible you become a vessel to be able to accept God. You see, that's the problem. The self and God cannot exist really in the same mind in many ways. You know, they try to exist together, but really they don't. You know, hey, it's either you or him. That's basically the contest here. And it always was that way, as I pointed out last week in the concept of Odomarishim. You know, it's either you or him. That's the ultimate conflict of man. Who, whose will dominates and whose being is real. You know, the worst kind of people is the, uh, the guys who say, you know, there is nobody else but me. You know, it's a, like a continuum here, right? There are people who say there's nobody like God. Then they're saying, well, there's me and God. And then there's people who say there's only me. You see, I mean, you guys are obviously at, you know, really, you know, in a sense, you have to pity these guys, you know. But uh, they are obviously at the worst end of the continuum here. And therefore, as a result of that, their acts clearly are an expression of their feelings about themselves. And, you know, many of these people are denied oil Haba. It's as simple as that, unfortunately. You know, because, like I said last week, there's a minimum here. There's a minimum that you have to be God-involved and not self-involved in order to be a member in the future world, you see? Because if you're completely self-involved and over there, it's all God. There is nothing else but God in the future world, so you can't do it, you know? You don't have the minimum requirement to be what's called a member of that community in the future world. 
That's what goes on here and so on. And anyway, so this is what I said last week, which is a very important understanding of what triggers the predicament or the situation of mankind. Very important understanding. Um, and it explains also, you know, that different people are assigned different predicaments, different situations that they find themselves in, but the situation always makes that demand. Are you self-involved or are you God-involved? No matter what situation you are, and so on. Anyway, so I went really extensively last week into that. So that last week is a very important shear because it's really the bottom line of what goes on and so on, you know. In any case, um, so that's what we see. Now, there are many people that do good deeds. You know, they do good deeds and so on. And whenever somebody does a good deed, that good deed is measured. Everything a person, every deed that a person does is automatically measured in one way. This is the good stuff. One, where is this deed going to be rewarded? Here, in this world, or there, in the future world? And also, what's the extent of reward, you see? Now, many times, and I mentioned this previously, that somebody could do a mitzvah, yet he will not receive the reward in the future world. He will receive it here. Why? Because it's not only the good deed that you get reward, okay? But where you get the reward is critical. If the person has done sins of a grievous nature, I mean, really bad stuff, you know, even if he's done good deeds, and let's assume he's done good deeds, mitzvahs and so on, to the extent where he would get the future world, but the fact that he's done such grievous sins says that a lot of the good deeds he did, even if he gets into the future world, but a lot of good deeds that he did should be rewarded here, thereby placing him in an inferior position in the future world. In other words, he gets the future world. I mean, we know there are people that the deeds outweigh, I, I gave that shit a long time ago, right? And if we didn't get the future world, certainly, right? It's the majority that counts. But there are people that do good deeds, you see, but the problem is that some of uh, their sins, or many of their sins, or whatever, are really serious stuff. So God says, you know, your good deeds, and you had enough good deeds to get into the future world, but you're not going to have a high position in the future world, you see. You're, I'm going to diminish your position by giving you the reward of the mitzvah here, and not there. So you get Oilam Haba, okay. But, in an, but it's an inferior membership. You know, you ever, so you ever join clubs? You know, that is the A membership, the B membership, and the C membership. You know, what are you entitled to, you know? The A membership means you're entitled to everything. You know what I'm saying? The B, half and half. And the C, you can just use a couple of their facilities. Anything else is off limits. You know what I'm saying? Same thing. In Oilam Haba, there are obviously many, many different uh, grades or levels and so on, you know? So this person will then be placed in an inferior level and he has no claim because his, re his, his, uh, good, his good deeds, his mitzvahs, whatever, uh, were, re were rewarded in this world and therefore he finds himself in a very low membership position in the future world, you see. 
Now, your question, you, you know, you can ask what kind of deeds can be so terrible. But remember, it's not only the good deeds, it's also how often and how frequent they were. You know, some guys really do sins, heavy sins, you know. They're really bad people. But they also have some good deeds. You see? So that determines that they get into the future world, but because they've done such bad stuff, you know, like what, what's some real bad stuff? Now remember, there are people that do bad stuff because they're a shoigeg. They don't know. For instance, violating the Shabbos is bad news. You know, Chil Shabbos, right? Desecrating the Shabbos is a very serious offense. You see? Now, there are many people that desecrate the Shabbos. They don't know better. You know, that's called a shoigeg. You know, inadvertent. So, obviously, they're not, that, to them it's not a grievous sin because they don't know. Because in order for a sin to be grievous, it has to be really terrible. And you have to know that it's forbidden. Obviously, if you don't know, mindset, intention is critical to the weight of a sin. So I'm not talking about people that don't even know. And there are many people that have very little knowledge of Shabbos. But Shabbos in itself is a grievous sin. And if somebody knows that Shabbos is forbidden, and he doesn't care, and he violates it constantly, or whatever, or other sins, you know, um, where he really harms people, he destroys people's reputations, let's say Lush and Hara, which is also very bad, because it has terrible consequences especially today with the internet, you know, you get, all you all have to do is you put one statement on the internet and it goes out to, you know, five million people, you know what I'm saying? And meanwhile, this guy's reputation is destroyed because he doesn't even know who you sent it to. Now, how does he can defend himself, you see? Today, it's terrible that it's very easy to destroy a person in today's time. You never had that before, you know, uh, but today... It's incredible. A guy can lose his oilim haba, right? With the push of a button. All he has to do is press the button, right? And, and reveal some terrible Lashon Haram, which is forbidden to reveal. Let's say that the statement was forbidden to reveal, whatever, right? And he just pushes the button, sends it, emails it out to, you know, a million people. Hey, that's the end of his oilim haba. It's astounding what a guy can do today, you know? You know, in order to lose Eilim Haba, you know, you really had to do bad things all the time. Today, you just press the button and you lost your Eilim Haba. You know, because how, how are you going to undo one million people knowing about what you did or whatever, you know? And really, it was forbidden. There's, there's a tremendous amount of laws and dinam about what you can't say and what you can't say about anybody, even if it's wrong. Just because it's true doesn't make it permissible to reveal. Anyway, but that, that's an example of a grievous sin, you know. So, uh, and not only that, you know, what happens if you write a book, you know, that has terrible, you know, uh, apicosis, you know, uh, what do you call it, um, heresy, and so on, and you got millions of people that read it, you know, you're finished. You know what I'm saying? How you can undo that, you know? And people do all kinds of things, you know, and, and, and whatever. The people, there's, there's so many different ways you could destroy many, many people, you know. So this is a part of the consideration. That means that even for the good deeds, well, God says, hey, you know, you can get into Ilam Haba because for whatever reason you did something decent, you know, enough to get into Ilam Haba, right? But you've caused so much damage, or you've done so between man and his friend, 
right? And his neighbors, right? Or you've done so many deeds that have assaulted my honor, you cannot be in a high position in the future world. So God is just. You got to pay the guy back in some way. What you do is you give him ilam haba at a severely diminished, diminished level. You know, so that's what it is. Like I say, today, because of the evils of the internet, it is possible, A, either to lose your ilam haba, or B, to get your ilam haba, even if you get in, is severely diminished. So the internet is playing around with fire because of that. People don't realize that. It's an incredibly dangerous tool. Okay? Anyway, uh, so that's a very important idea, you know, that there is such a thing as a low-level membership in Oilam Habo that you will have caused. It's an important idea. Okay? And like I say, today it's very easy to do it, you know, to, do, to, uh, to sin in, in so many different ways and so on, you know. The question is, uh, what determines a person's assignment? You know, we all know that there are different assignments in terms of the, the um, self versus God ratio, you know, and so on. And the idea to that is the concept called the root soul. And uh, every neshama comes from, a, there's what's called a Knesset Israel which is the congregation of Israel, there's one neshama called Knesset Israel. It's really one neshama that is divided. And each fragment, there are three, in many ways, there are three great splits, just to mention this and so on, you know. The first is the, uh, the, um, the Shekhinah splits from the neshama. The neshama and the Shekhinah, the divine presence, is really, in many ways, one. Although we don't really understand how, but it's one. It's like a coin. One side of the coin, heads, let's say, is the divine presence. And the other side, tails, right, is the neshama. So what the Barsham does is he splits those two. It's called period. And in other words, before you, he sends uh, the neshamas down to the ilm hazeb, that is split. So that's the first great split between the, between the Shekhinah and Knesset Yisrael. That's the first great split. So that creates a period, a separation between you and the divine. And therefore, as a result of that, right, it gives you now the opportunity to think that you exist independent of God. That's the beginning of what's called the Hester, the concealment of the reality that we are really one with God. The second great split, okay, is where God takes Knesset Israel, that one neshama, which if you look at it, it's like an organism, you know. It's not that there are many neshamas. There's really only one neshama, and what God did is he separated that one neshama into parts. So a person has many, many different parts. It's got the heart, right? It's got the lungs and so on, you know. But they're really all one part of one organism. The neshama of Klai Israel is the same idea. It's really one organism, you see. But what the Mansham did, he see, took uh, consciousness and he put that in each part. So now each part thinks it's 
uh, not, it's different than the other part. So everybody's walking around saying to himself, you know, I'm different from you. There is a spatial disconnect, separation between us. So everybody thinks, therefore, that they are individuals, when in reality they're not. But anyway, that's the second illusion. So the first illusion is that we're no longer really part of God. That's the split. The second split is that each part of that one organism called the Knesset Yisrael itself, each one is given an individual consciousness. So therefore each part, each neshama that was fragmented sees itself as independent or as separate from everybody else. The third great split is where the Rebbe took each neshama and he created, he split that and he made one part male, man, a male, and the second part of female, Zohar Nekeva, because they're also really one soul, but they are split. So there you, there you are. So there are, in many ways, there are three great splits. Okay? Now, the assignment that the Rabbanisham gives depends on where in that organism you are, so to speak. And we don't know why any one Nishama is in one place as opposed to another, you know. Uh, we, we don't know. We don't know what determines the root soul that you are. But whatever you are, whatever, you know, if you're part of the head, if you want to use that example, you know, if you're part of the arm or whatever, part of the leg, you know, if you want to use an example of uh, the human body and so on and so forth, that is your root neshama, okay? And the assignment that you're given is based on that position or place that you have in that root. Now that, you should know, do not think that that is a limit to what extent or how high your ilm haba could be. It's not. It merely determines your assignment, you see. What determines your status in the future world depends on your deeds, your acts within that assignment. So it's really two different dinam here, you see. So you could be from a lower end of that organism called the Knesset Israel, the Grand Neshama, you know, uh, you could be from the, I don't know, you want to go down to the toes, you know. So therefore, as a result of that, you get a certain assignment, certain type of life, you see, that is, is, you are cast into. And in that life, you have to choose all different kinds of things every day, right, for 80, 90 years, however long the life is, right? So that, where you are, is determined. And by the way, Adam Rishon was that Knesset Israel in total. He was the only one that had every neshama in him, so to speak. And then he was fragmented, and so on, in order to give room to the rest of the Jewish people, and so on, you know. But in any case, he, um, um, so your assignment depends on the root, or where are you located, in that Knesset Israel, you see. <clears throat> that determines your assignment. However, your position in Olim Habo, right, is determined by how much did you accomplish <coughs> in the, what's called the SG ratio. In your, your, your acts in this world was for God as opposed for self. You see, that's the way it works. So it's not a limit in terms of how high you can go. As I mentioned last week, if you do 99% of your potential, right, you actualize 
of your potential, right? In your assignment, right? And some other tzaddik, some, right, did 80%, right? You're much greater than him, even though he, his job was assignment of being a Rebbe, let's say, you know, a Hasidic Rebbe. Forgive me if I use that as an example, right? Uh, you know, because nobody really knows who's who. Really, in the end, you don't know who you are and why you're put here, and you don't even know how much you've done. You get an estimation, but you don't really know. It could be you had an Isoyim, a test, right? That was incredibly difficult, right? And then you pass the test, and that, the, the, the equivalent of that test could be some person's, even if it's a holy person, right? A uh, hundred different mitzvahs. That one mitzvah that you did can be worth a hundred of his. Nobody really knows. You see, what is the value of your life or anything you did? You see, and therefore, like I say, which is important, that your ilm haba is not based on your assignment, so to speak. That depends on your root nishama. What is important is that your ilm haba is based on what did you do with your assignment. There's all kinds of ideas in that because some, some people's assignments are a lot easier and a lot nicer than other people's assignments. I mean, there's no question that there's a tremendous variation in terms of the, you know, the, uh, the possibilities and so on. But in any case, all that is taken into account when God judges the person and so on, you know. And make no mistake, we don't really know who's who or who's greater than who, you see. Because there's the famous Chazal, where Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, I think it was the son of Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, whatever, uh, where he went up to heaven, that's Ruach HaKodesh, whatever, and he came down and they asked him, what did you see there? And he said, I'll tell you, it's an Oilem Hofachu. It's an overturned world. What does that mean? And he says, whoever is great here, up there was basically nobody. Could be nobody. And there are people here who are nobodies, and up there, like they can't do enough for them. You know, what do you see from that? That we cannot measure the true worth of anybody spiritually. We don't have the measure. Because we don't know the value of the mitzvahs we do. Because I once mentioned that the value of the mitzvahs that we do has many factors. One of them is not just the mitzvah. It's also how much did you give up to do the mitzvah. It's called the Messias Nefesh, you know. Uh, and also the mitzvah itself, the mitzvahs which are, have more weight than others, other mitzvahs, you see. And there's all kinds of factors, you know. Well, was this mitzvah easy to come? You know, did you see, did you have a, a righteous father and therefore you saw that? Or your father was not righteous at all, he wasn't even religious, and you still did the mitzvah. There's a million different factors, that determine the worth. We cannot possibly understand or know what the worth of the mitzvah is to God in the future world. Therefore, there could be some guy walking around in the street. He said, what is the guy, some schlepper? You know? And meanwhile, meanwhile, this guy can be one of the greatest guys in the generation, especially if he's a Lamed Vav Tzaddik. You'd really never know. You know, the 36 righteous people that nobody knows who they are and so on, you know? Or you can have somebody, uh, you know, who's a great um, Maggit Shir. I hate to say Rosh Hashiva, just an example, you know. Uh, or people regard as a great Tzaddik. And in the future world, in the, in the next world, he's, a, he's an average guy. Average. Of course, that person is going to be shocked when he gets to the future world, right? 
And they said, then he's looking at the other side, he sees this other guy who's a nobody, he's getting the royal treatment. This guy, he doesn't even get one malach to come and say hi. You know, he's going to be shocked, obviously, and so on, you know. But oh, up there is the world of truth, and they know who's who, and so on. So that's why a person can never feel really, think about it, dejected. Because you don't know the worth of what you've done. Only God can judge. Even you, you may know the deeds you've done, but you do not know the worth because it is not just the deed itself, the mitzvah. It's how much you gave up, you know, how, how much influence did you have from other people, and so on. And what did you know? And how intense was you in doing it? And how much love of God did you have when you did it? There are so many factors here, you see, that even if you know what uh, mitzvahs you did, you, you don't know the worth. You have no idea, you see. That's why there can be people here, like I said, you know, and that's what he meant, Oilam Hafahu. It is a upside down world. And what he's simply saying is that we do not know, we don't have the measuring yard or stick to measure the worth of a deal, of a mitzvah. So forget about that. You know, you just have to try your best, do your best, you know, in doing uh, the will of God and so on, you know. But uh, this is very important. So that's the idea. Your assignment is based on your spiritual root somewhere basically in the body of Adam because he had that full neshama, you know. But your, and that's your assignment. Why you have that place? Unknown. Nobody knows. That's called mazel. That's your mazel, called your good luck or your good fortune, you know. We, we don't have any understanding of why his mazel is here and his mazel is there. But, but that will determine the assignment. But Oilam Haba is not determined by your mazel. It is determined by what you do in this world, in your assignment, you see. And God judges it exactly. The, the judgment is incredibly precise, down to the nanometer, and so on, you see that you get really what you deserve. And uh, like I said, and we don't really know what's what in this world, you know? That's why if you meet somebody, you never know. He could be a thousand times greater than you. How would you know? He wouldn't even know. See? In the next world, you'll find out. Yanko, that guy? You know? You know, I thought he was a nobody. You know? Guy couldn't even learn a black tomorrow or something like that, right? Meanwhile, that Yankel had a very difficult life, to, and he was, in many ways, he was very spiritual, but nobody knew that because he, had a, he did a great job hiding it, you see, or whatever, and, and therefore he could be tremendous, you know. So uh, you never know who's what. That's why you have to respect every single Jew. You do not know who he is, what's his worth in heaven. You see, that's a very important idea. Yeah. So a person doesn't know his own situation in terms of all. Not not accurately. He knows he generally. Know, you know, now he has an idea. I mean, he knows what he does every day. But not only what he does, but what kind of what kind of uh, trouble he went through to do it, or lack thereof. Yeah, yeah. He has he has a feeling there for that. So many di- there's so many different things that go into it. He might not know. Yeah. But other things which are subconsciously... That's right. There are so many variables that it's almost infinite. So you're saying it's possible for somebody to get up there and say, 
I, I didn't think I, I didn't think the mitzvah is worth anything because I know my situation. It turns out I didn't really know my situation. Yeah. Or the opposite. The person could say, well, I thought this mitzvah would be worth a lot because I tried hard, but it seems that I really should have tried a lot harder. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> you know, that's, the, that's why the general rule is just try your best. You know, to do the best you can in serving God. That's really the rule, you know, and so on, you know. So, uh, so that's the idea in terms of the assignment, what it's based on, you know, and so on. Okay. Not only that, but it's very interesting also. Every person, even in his assignment, okay, has what's called hashgocho of that assignment. A person can be, you know, designated, okay, you are assigned to being, um, you know, whatever. Let's say um, you got to be, you're assigned to be a doctor, right? And all of a sudden he gets into medical school. That's really what it's all about, you know. It has nothing to do with medical school. If your assignment is to be a doctor and to be subjected to the tests and temptations of a doctor, then that's what you become. Whether the medical school likes you or not, you're in. You see? And of course, God will arrange that. If it's not your test, you won't get into medical school because your test situation, your assignment, is something completely different. You see? Now, what assignment does a doctor have? If you want to, I'm using that as a specific example, you know. A doctor has to decide, you know, one, what to charge his patients. That's number one. Number two, you know, uh, I'm just giving you an example as an MD, you know, what to charge, you know. <laughs> Need I say more? That's number one. That's number one. <laughs> yeah, right? Then he has to decide, you know, how is he going to treat his patient? There's some doctors that you go to, they have terrible bedside manner. They're arrogant, curt, brief, and they barely give you, you know, 15 seconds of their time. That's a terrible way of acting towards somebody who's sick, or else why would we come to a doctor? What is your feeling for the pain of somebody else? You see, and yeah, I'm not saying, it. I'm just giving you an example of how a doctor can really fail, you know. Of course, there are many doctors that are tremendous, you know, and so on, you know. But anyway, that's a second idea. Then the third idea, I'm giving you the bad side of a doctor, you know, what he's faced with, you know. A third idea is that he thinks he's God. He thinks that he cures. He doesn't understand that he's zero and that anything he does is all given. God uses him as an instrument to bring a refuah, a cure to this person, a remedy, you see. So God gives him the knowledge. He gives him the skill, you see. It gives him the background. God gives him everything. Yet how, how many doctors think that you know, me, right? I'm the guy that cures, you know, and so on. Uh, and, and there are, there are many doctors that think that way, you know, and so on, uh, you know. Uh, so that's a third test that a doctor has. Who does he think he is in terms of his contribution toward the welfare or the remedy of that patient? You see, and then, then there's, there, there are other ideas, you know. I mean, there, there's a lot of things, I mean, I'm using the doctor, but the, any, any occupation will have its own set of problems, you know. Another thing of a doctor, for instance, is modesty, you know. Some doctors don't care if you're, uh, in terms of modesty, you know. They'll tell the patient, well, undress here. They say, wait a minute, you're examining his foot. 
Why does he have to undress totally? You see, yeah, oh yeah. Well, take off everything and just put this on. Excuse me, you're looking at my foot. Why do I have to do that? Because they have no concept of a thing called sneers or modesty. You see, that's a big avla also, you know, and so on. Now, on the good side, you know, you know, obviously the doctors that do have that and so on, you know. Uh, and, but I'm just giving you, this is the test situation of, of an MD. See? Now, there's a, the, in the Gemara brings down an incredible story. Just to show you what a doctor could become, right? Since I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, the uh, failures of a doctor, right? But there was a doctor, uh, the Gemara brings down. It said that Rover heard a bus call, the great Rover. Right of the, of the Talmud, so he heard a bus call, right once once a year, on Yom Kippur. I think it's Yom Kippur, right? A buyer heard a bus call, a divine voice. A bus call is a divine voice that says something about what is or what will be, and so on. Obviously, it's a it's not prophecy, but it's pretty high up there to be able to hear a bus call, which means you're really hearing an announcement by God. A buyer heard a bus call once a week. Not bad. Rover heard it once a year, and Abai heard it once a week, you know? And then there was a doctor who, his name I think is Abba Umno, if I remember correctly, he heard it every day. A doctor, that's all he was, right? He heard a boss call every day. So I think it was Rover, I gotta check this guy out. Like, what in the world is happening here, you know? I mean, Rover understood that this, this doctor must be incredible. Sadik, you know. So he went to this doctor and he sat down, whatever, and, you know. And he found out that this guy, he was a doctor, right? But his relationship with his patients was incredible. If they could not afford the medicine, he would buy them the medicine, right? He had incredible sensitivity toward their pain, toward their modesty, and so on. He was like, you know what, it's like one in a million that you find, you know, that what the Gemara describes who he was, and so on, you know. He dealt whether you had money or you didn't have money, didn't make a difference, you know. And the sensitivity that he had towards patients and so on, you know. And because of that, he heard a Basco more frequent than Rav and Abaya, who were among the greatest of the Amorayim, you see. So, it all depends how you handle it, you know. But that is called a life situation, right? That's their predicament. That is the situation, situation that they must handle, and so on. <clears throat> now, what I want to bring out about that is not just this, but also the fact that God then <coughs> determines, okay, you got your assignment. The question now is, am I going to help you in the assignment? Or am I going to put obstacles in front of you? And believe it or not, that is part of what's called the cheshben. That is part of the verdict that God decides, you see. Now, some people, right, God assists them tremendously. You know, all of a sudden, it's like they have a charmed life, you know. But more so in spirituality, in ruchnias, you know. All of a sudden, they're able to learn. It's easier for them, right? <coughs> they're looking around for some kind of chavrusa, right? A study partner, and all of a sudden, they, they, they meet some guy and says, by the way, I'm also looking. Maybe you know somebody's looking, right? God puts it in their lap. Well, they don't even have to look for, far for this, you see? And then they grasp the Gemara click, uh, much quicker. They have the money to go and buy Sfarim. It's like, wow, it's like a charmed life. Because the decree was in this particular person that 
they must be assisted tremendously from heaven. Then there are people that God says, okay, I'll help you out once in a while. You know, once in a while. So every so often you feel, oh, wow, I have some what's called Santa Despire, you know. And other days you feel, it's just not working, everything I do. Nothing, nothing is bringing me closer to spirituality, you see. Then there are those people that God says, I am not going to help you one iota. That's not good. Really is not good, you know. And all of a sudden, you find you're on your own. You've you got to struggle with life on your own with no divine assistance. That's the Xero. Then there are always people, okay, so you have that side. Then there are people where God says, I'm going to put up obstacles. Oh no, you're not going to get into Ilum Haba so quick or whatever. I'm going to put obstacles in front of you. You see? And all of a sudden, you know, you make up your mind, I want to go to shul tomorrow, right? And you get up in the morning and you have this terrible case of diarrhea. Right? And you're not going to go to shul with that, right? You'll spend time sitting somewhere else. Right? That, that, that's, that is the opposite of sight to despair. And this could happen. All of a sudden, you know, you wanted to make a say then all of a sudden you lost your job. And now you got to spend, you know, who knows, right? A day, two days, a week, a month, who knows, looking for a job. Forget about learning, you're busy looking for a job. You see? That, that's a tremendous obstacle, you see? So a person is, is on a continuum in terms of to what extent will God uh, assist. There are all those people which are zoicha, they merit tremendous sight to dishmaya. And then there are those people that not only do not merit sight to dishmaya, instead they get tremendous obstacles. Now, now, there are many reasons for this. Obviously, it all has to conform to justice, you see. And there are many reasons, you know. It could be that a person in a previous life, I'll give you one example, right? right? He, his father was a rashiva of a big yeshiva, and he could have learned tremendously and he would have had tremendous amount of help. And he just, he just ignored it. What do, I, what do I need this for? You know? So he never learned anything. He was, never, he was highly not spiritual. He, he engaged in tremendous physical things. Right? So he dies. Right? And God says, okay. You know, I'm going to let you come back. Give you another chance. But this time, right? I'm going to put a lot of obstacles in your path. So it'll be much harder for you to become spiritual because you need to undo the wasted opportunity of a previous life. And all of a sudden this guy's born, right? And forget about it, you know. Everything, it, it, it's very difficult for him to involve himself in Ruchnius. He, let's say he's born to a family that's not religious at all. You see, and then all of a sudden years go by. And then all of a sudden, let's say he is turned on, meet somebody, gets turned on to spirituality. Right? And so on, you know. And all of a sudden he's trying to get it maybe into a yeshiva and no yeshiva will have him. Or whatever. They, there's so many ways that the Rav can place obstacles. But that's all to undo the wasted opportunity that he had in a previous ex, uh, Gilgal. So all of this is done with tremendous judgment. You see. And it, it, it's all judged based on... It's, it's like they are... There are almost like infinite amount of variables here. 
But everything that happens to a person is called fine-tuning. It's all exact in order to help the person to undo uh, what he called failures uh, and, uh, in, in previous lives, or even in this life, where a person does something which is not right, and it's really bad, and all of a sudden he experiences barriers, and so on, you know. Uh, I gave a case where, let's say, somebody gave, uh, where somebody was, uh, was, became more religious, they were inspired to become more religious, and all of a sudden things turned against them, you know. So the, the, this person says, what's going on here? I became more religious and all of a sudden everything's bad? Yeah, because it could be that, you know, all of a sudden there's uh, the Satan saying, oh, wait a minute. It's not so simple, you know. Let's see. Let's test this person to see will they still remain in Judaism if we shake them up a little. Because let's assume that they deserved to be shaken up, to test their resolve. To what extent are they really serious about Judaism? That's really what happened with Eov. That was a kitruk. Eov, where they shook him up. You know, okay, you know, uh, you know the, he, was, he was a tzaddik, a tzaddik goma, right? And all of a sudden, the sultan came along and said, hey, wait, wait, wait a moment, let's check this guy out. Let's throw him a couple of bones, you know, a couple of uh, wrenches, and let's see what he does. Yeah, so what they did to him was incredible. You know, first they, you know, they, he became sick, and then they killed his wife. Then his wife died, his kids died, and he became a <coughs> poor, and then he's sitting... So it, it, was, it was horrendous what they did there, you know. And whatever the judgment was, you know. I mean, they, they said that he was one of the advisors to Parai, you know, and he advised about... Uh, the, the, he, his advice to Parai was very bad for the Jews. So that opened up the prosecution, whatever it is and so on, you know. But um, uh, so therefore, whatever happens to a person is deserved where God will not assist him and he will block him. And some people are completely blocked, which is terrible, you know. And, and the, the, because the judgment decrees that this is what they deserve. And there are so many different reasons why. And the person says, like, whatever I do, you know, I, 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 I'm not making it. I'm failing. So this guy's got to exert, a woman, whatever, tremendous amount of energy to bypass all these blockages, you see. Now, this is what happens for a regular guy. What about a Russia? So sometimes a Russia, it all depends, you know, if this Russia has some good deeds, right? So it could be that this person wants to do something evil and God prevents him, you see? Because he doesn't want that Russia to do this deed, right? So he can spare the Russia, you know. In some way, uh, the fact that he can't do this deed will help the Russia in some way accomplish some type of ruchnias. Because maybe in a previous life, the guy was uh, a good person. And in this life, he had to incarnate. And in this life, he became a Russia. So because of his previous life, God says, listen, I want to spare you, you know. So I'm going to prevent you from doing the evil. Because... He merited that to happen because he was good in the previous life and he had to come back for some reason and in this life he became bad so God prevents him from doing evil. Yeah, it's interesting. Again, it's all based on justice and uh, an infinite amount of factors. Then there are some evil people where God says, 
be my guest. And he's successful. Whatever he does, his evil always happens. There's no stopping him, you see. And the reason why God will do that and make him successful in doing evil is to destroy him. Yeah, to annihilate him. Yeah, and he's got a, everybody's got a certain measure of evil, you know. He's got a certain amount of evil that he needs to be destroyed. And God says, go right ahead. And he makes it possible. So that person, you know, could you imagine Rishoyim? And they're incredibly successful. They kill people. I mean, the old, you know, the, the Middle Ages, this was like slaughter, you know. Where you had the Goyim doing this. They slaughtered people. And there are many evil people all, all around us, believe me, that do evil. And they're successful over and over again. But they don't realize that their success is based on the concept that they have to be, they will be annihilated. But God doesn't want to annihilate them yet because they haven't done enough evil. You see, there's a concept called enough. You know, that for whatever the judgment is, God decides that there's a certain amount of evil that they have to do, and then I get rid of them, you see? And they haven't done enough, and God says, okay, I want to make sure you do enough, right? Because the judgment right now says that you should not be annihilated. But for what you've done, you deserve to be annihilated. But what's missing is more evil. So God says, no, no problem. And all of a sudden, more evil, and they are successful. <coughs> they kill more people, or they, they destroy so many people. Uh, they, they destroy people's panosas. I mean, it's just beyond belief what people do and so on. And then, as soon as they reach the measure of the amount of evil that they have to do, yuive, they are destroyed. It's astounding, the rise and fall of people and how it happens. We see that, you know, and so on, you know. Unfortunately, you know, the more people you have control over, the greater the evil will be that you do. And there are many, there are politicians, there are monarchs, kings, right? There are people in power, right, that do terrible deeds, terrible deeds to people. And they always seem to be successful. They just, it just never stops. And they can do it for years. And then after, you know, whatever, let's say 10, 20 years, you know, really, really damaging and harming and destroying people's lives, right? All of a sudden, something happens, and they're finished. They're, they're, they're destroyed. We see that happen all the time. Where the Rishoyim get their what's called comeuppance. Takes time. But the reason why they were so successful and why it took so many years, because now they're destroyed. Totally. You know, and they're annihilated. The classic was Haman. He was riding great. I mean, it's a, you know, the, Haman, he was, he was doing incredible, right? I mean, the Grand Vizier, right? <clears throat> right? And he was, uh, you know, he was, I mean, yeah, he was the second most powerful man in the Persian Empire. And that Persian Empire was 127 provinces. It was incredible, you know? And he was granted success over and over again, you know? And finally, the, gig, the, the Jews, whatever, they're the ones who, you know, bought. And in overnight, he was destroyed. It's incredible. You, you, it's, hard to, uh, it's hard to see somebody rise and fall in, the, in such a quick succession. Stalin. Well. Yeah, uh, his whole life? Yeah. Then he, uh, yeah, he, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have Hitler and Maximus. But these, these people are exceedingly evil. 
you can't even compete with them in the evil, you know. But there are many people that do this, you know, or manage, or, you know, I just, I'm not I'm saying everybody, but, you know, you know how many politicians are evil? It's astounding. They don't care about people, you know. Um, and remember, there are different gradations of evil, you know. Uh, there are leaders and so on, you know. There are CEO corporate corporations. A lot of people out there are terribly evil, you know. And then all of a sudden, overnight, they're gone. I see that today with the Me Too movement, one after the other. Boom. Yeah, they yeah, like that's also cards. true. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like God is using the Me Too movement, and all of a sudden, these people that have been committing evil for years, you know, they can't believe it themselves. Big, big name guys, in one shot, they're gone. Yeah, yeah. And so on, you know. But that, that's a very interesting cheshvan. That God will allow a, a, a tremendously evil person, you see, to succeed to destroy him. Because the judgment demands that he should be destroyed. You see. So what we begin to realize is that it, 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 we can know certain general ideas about why the Rabbanu does. But there are so many factors and variables <coughs> in what he does that it's impossible to understand any given individual of why he's going through what he does and so on, you know. And certainly applies to the Jewish people, you know. Why did the Jewish people have to go through the Holocaust? Although I spoke about that when I talked about what gets into the future world and so on, you know. Why are the Jews in exile for 2,000 years, you know. Why, why this exile, why that, you know, why Spanish Inquisition or the expulsion from Spain and so on and so forth, you know. There are just too many variables there. You know, and, and God takes every single, as we will see, He takes every single uh, individual into account, as we will see, you know. And it's not just the individual. Before you can do anything to the individual, as we will see, God has to take into account everything else before He can, uh, you know, issue a verdict of this person. Because everybody has to deserve what this guy is about to get. You see, and that could stop God from destroying somebody because his brother doesn't deserve that this guy should be destroyed. It's astounding the, the judgment of, of what it means, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk, I'll talk about also, you know. Also what's important is that Yisurin or suffering, like I said, is an explicit phenomenon that God uses, okay, for two purposes. Either it's a warning Let's say somebody's a tzaddik, right? And he sins. Everybody sins, basically. It says in tzaddik words, Everybody sins, basically, right? But the person is generally good. They're generally righteous, you know? So what God does will send them Yisur and suffering to wake him up, to alert him and say, wait a minute, maybe you examine your deeds and try to change what you're doing, you see? So God will do it um, uh, for that reason. So suffering is not only for an atonement, it's also used as a warning, where a person should say to himself, wait, maybe I have to you know, take into account what I'm doing, and maybe it's wrong, you see? So that those, those, those are the two major ideas of Yisurin and suffering. Either it's an atonement, a kapara, right? Or it's a warning to examine your deeds and do tshuva and repent, you see? So that's also actually very important.
What makes judgment so difficult is the fact that before you can do anything to a person, you need to look at who his ancestors were. Does he deserve this? If his ancestors, his forebears, if his father, his grandfather, and that tzaddikim. So God has to take into account before this person, his forebears. Then he has to take into account his descendants. Well, should I punish this guy if his descendant is going to be righteous? You see? That taken into account also. Then all the people associated with him. What does that mean? His generation that he lives. His city. Even his community. Should this person be punished? That means a generation has to deserve it. The city has to deserve that he will be punished. And so on. I mean, just imagine what the din, what the judgment is. When you think about what has to be taken into consideration, you know. So therefore, God has to look at all of this. And also, should I punishment? What's it going to do to the rest of the planet or to the whole tikkun, general scheme of what it, where I want to take the world if this guy gets punished? All that is taken into account and you begin to realize there's like almost an infinite amount of variables that God has to figure out before he does anything to anyone. You see? Because it could be that he deserves it, but his father doesn't deserve to see his son like this. You know, or the son doesn't deserve to see the father like that. Or maybe the wife doesn't deserve to see the husband like that. You see, everybody, it has to be deserved by everybody in that sense before God can bring it on an individual. It's amazing. It's amazing how anybody is judged because there's an infinite amount of different, what's called cheshbonus, or variables, factors, that have to be taken into account by the strict rule of justice. You see? And it could be that somebody deserves to really have bad time suffering, but God knows that this person is going to have a righteous son because that's who he has to give birth to, right? And therefore the father cannot be poor because the son really deserves to be rich because his assignment is really to, be a, uh, to, to do uh, the mitzvahs in wealth. So how could God then make the father poor? You see? So the father deserves to be poor, but he can't be poor because it would interfere or contradict the assignment of the son, you see? How do you, how, you, you, just to make these kind of reckonings is almost infinite, you see. I'm just giving an example. So all of this really has to be taken into account, you know, in terms of the, the assignment itself. No wonder God rested on the second day. He had a lot of work to put. No, he knew what he's in for. That's what you mean. Yeah, he rested on the seventh day. He says, okay, here goes. <laughs> right? And then for the next 6,000 years, like, you know, I'll tell you, you know, you know when, question, when God has a headache, what does he take? He probably takes Excedrin, right? Because they said it's for really bad headaches, whatever, you know? You can imagine a divine headache, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. <clears throat> if a person um, is, if the for a person is held back because it will affect other people that don't deserve it. Is, yeah. that, is that taken care of in Gehenna instead? Or is it just we cannot 
Well, I don't. What do you mean? Can't Being a person, let's say, is supposed to become poor. Yeah. Okay. But he can't become poor because you he affects too many people. Correct. Who don't deserve, don't deserve it. him to be poor because they should be not poor. Yeah. Is that how is that? So that's taken care of a different way, or is it just? Yeah. 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 So God will somehow have to alter it. You know. Uh, in some other way, down the line, where they, where everybody does deserve, you know, and so on, you know, you know. But like I say, but remember, it's not only the all the variables and factors have to be dealt with in the here and now. It's also dealt with was what will happen in the future, what has happened in the past, back all the way to other Mauritian. How do you make these kind of judgments? It's infinite variables and factors. Yet God takes all of them into account before he can do anything to a person. It's not, con it's, un it's inconceivable. No, there, there is no being that can even begin to understand the basis of the judgment of God. And what's interesting is that ultimately we will know in the messianic era, everybody will know exactly what happened to him and why, you know. It's like watching a movie of your life and you know, and God will point out, okay, you remember what happened here? Uh, here's why. You remember what happened here? Here's why. And all of a sudden you see all these variables coming in and saying, I can't believe that you figured this out. You know, and then you will know either why you were punished, why you suffer, or why you were spared. Or you why you had incredible muscle, incredible good luck. You'll know it all, you know. And everything will be justified. Everything. In fact, it's even more than that. Not only will it be justified, but it will, it, it, will, it will appear to you that this was done with incredible bending over backwards to save you, assuming that you're going to get the future world. You know? That it was done with tremendous, what's called hatova, goodness. You see? That God had to bend over backwards, so to speak. As we'll see in the next year, you know, that God really bent over backwards, that you can get Oedem Habba on somebody else's cheshbon, or, you know, and so on and so forth. That's how much God wants a, a, a community of Bishlemus, a perfect community in the future world, you see. So he bends over backwards in many, many different ways, you see. Um, in any case, like I said, what we realize is the to understand the true judgment of God is not possible, really, because everything is taken into account. How a person's suffering, how will it affect the tikkun, the rectification of the entire creation? Wow. I mean, you're talking about hundreds of trillions, quadrillions, quintillions, individuals, Atoms, animals, it's like, you know, forget it. It's not possible to, uh, it's inconceivable, you know. But in some way, God figures it out, and it will be part of that tikkun. You see? So, if you're wondering why does anything happen to you, right? Don't even bother thinking that way. You know? Just do your best. Well, there's two things. You have to do your best, and you have to say, kol milsa di ovid rachmano. Everything that God does, the Tav Ovid, He does for the good. In the end, it all boils down to one idea, Bitochen, trust. 
you have to trust God that He knows what He's doing and that what is ever happening to you on the scales of justice or the scales of tikkun, this is the best for you that He's doing. I was once speaking to a woman uh, who just had just lost her mother three weeks ago, you know? And I, I didn't know that, you know. So she said she was, uh, I think she's in the shloshim of her mother. And she, she was tremendously aggrieved, tremendous grief. Obviously, she was very close to her mother. So I said, you should think about one idea, maybe this will help you. That your mother died however she died, right? What that means is that the death of your mother in that way and at this time is the best thing that God can do for your mother. Think about that. That means that because God is, has only one thing interested in your mother, the best thing for her. What can I do to her that will give her a situation which is unbelievable? And the answer was that she had to die at that time with this sickness or whatever. So uh, th think about that. In other words, if, God, if everything that God does is always for the best, that means every person's death, when they die, now they die, and so on, you know, is really the best thing you can do for the person, even the person's death. And maybe God realized that if she lives longer, then maybe she'll sin. There's something bad if she lives longer, you know. And uh, you know, that's what I said. Keep that in mind. That if anything, now if God said to you, let's say, well, you know, you, God said, okay, let me explain to you why this is the best thing for your mother. You'd of course said, hey, of course I feel bad, terrible, it's sad, but this, do it. Because you have to think, God thinks only of your mother and what the best thing for her is. So therefore, think about that. And I was very glad to hear what the person said, that was a great chizuk, you know. When you think in those terms, what I did is I reframed the death of her mother into a way which meant that really God is only interested in the best possible status state of this mother, of the mother, and that's why it happened. So in a certain sense, you know, of course you, 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 you're, you're, you're in mourning and all that, but at least you know that whatever happened is the best thing that could have happened to the person. Anyway. What was that? A tragedy last week with in Lakewood, thirty-eight-year-old mother of mine who missed a. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm not aware. Miss, miss so it, that's, that must be a different category. Uh, children, you started with nine children, unmarried. Like I said. Inexplicable. Inexplicable. Yeah. You, you can't say, yeah. but you saw this mother, this woman, your mother. You know, when the mother's you know up in the eighties, you know, it could be can. Comforted. But, but what, I, what I just said, God took that into account. That if he takes this woman, how many? Nine? Nine, nine orphans. And she's 38. And she's, 38. And she's 38, right? I mean, to us, it, to, I mean, we only have the human view. It's horrendous, right? Yeah. But for whatever, but based on God's perspective, right? His framework. That was the best thing he could do for the family and for the mother. We have no we don't begin to understand what that means. But based on the Hashkafa, the concept of Bitochen, the best thing for this family, it sounds, you know, again, was the death of the mother at 38 and nine individuals, nine orphans, you know. I mean, look, in the end, God's not going to abandon them. 
for whatever reason, he decided that this has to happen for their sake. We are completely uh, astounded. We have no way to even begin to think about the meaning of this or the justice of this. But that's what Bitochen is. Bitochen is that whatever God does must be for the best. In fact, it is such a uh, inviolate uh, principle that in the end of time, you know, after 120 years, you face God, right? You can say to God, wait a minute. Out of the, thousand, of the million things that happened to me over my life, right? A guy can say, I don't understand. How is that good for me? That one little incident on that day that happened to the guy, right? He says, okay, where was the justice in that? Well, how is this good for me? And God has to come up with an answer, right? Think about that. Because if God cannot come up with an answer, then the Torah is lying. When it says, Sadiq v'yoshahu, ain't ovel, that God is righteous and fair, there is no injustice with God, right? Right? Uh, and so on, right? That's what the Torah says. That means the Torah has to be true. So if God cannot come up with an answer on whatever you point out, right? Whatever incident, right? Of why it truly was the best for you, <clears throat> correct? Then the Torah is saying a lie. So what do you think? You think the Torah lies? God forbid? Or that in the end, <clears throat> it was, he's the t he, he can justify everything that, if, you, if you're waiting by a meter and you put your hand in and you need a quarter and you came out with a nickel, right? That was justified. And God has to have the answer of why it was justified. Could you imagine on every single human that ever lived, he's got to have the answer of why this is the best thing. You see? That, that's a pretty tall order, even you have to admit, right? It's incredible. Yet he can do it. Because that's what the Torah says. <clears throat> I question why Joseph, the most righteous of the brothers, died at the youngest age. And all the brothers had a longer life than Joseph. Part of the reason he, the or part, he lost 10 years of his life because he had, because when Yaakov finally came to Egypt, to, to, you know, he met, so Yaakov bowed. Ten times, and Joseph should not have allowed him to do that. So he left there for lost ten years of his life because he died at 110. Should have died at 120 because that's what it's supposed to be, and therefore that was an oynish to Yosef. He allowed his father, keep it over him, to bow to him ten times. Listen, what do we know? Right. The roof said, "When Russian hurricane caused a person to be annihilated." Yeah, uh, especially today. Could the Rebbe explain, the Yechovah's Lavoa says a Chiddush that even my Rebbeim didn't have an answer. Hey, I, don't want, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, 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 the switch. Right. The, uh, the trans switch. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't want to deal with that. Because with me... No, it's, 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 it takes a long time. I don't want to deal oh, with that. A, yeah. What is that? Yeah, that's... Oh, yeah. Is that's, some kind of meeting can't meet it? Uh, whatever it is, I don't get into that. But that, that, that's a Chiddush Lavoa's, and there are many people who hold like that. And you have to understand what the logic is. It's not just, yeah. Now, whatever it is, yeah. Can I say you're wrong? Can you explain? Oh, it must we can understand. What does it mean? Yisrael, Kutchabrich, and Rasha Chadu? Yes, one. What does that mean? One? Two? It's also, I can't, I'm not going to explain that. That's a whole, yeah. When a person, let's say there's a Xerah that he's brought down again and he has obstacles. Yeah. Yeah. 
obviously a person has to try his best and he can't rest on his laurels and just you know float by and just say, oh, I guess I can't do it. Yeah. But on the flip side, is it possible, as Shem said, you will fail nine times out of ten? Yeah. Or there is a 10% chance you'll flow through, but in all intents and purposes, because of the generation you live in or whatever the obstacle is, yeah. you will probably fail. And if you fail, it's not as much of a problem as it would be for somebody without the obstacle. Yeah, of, of course. You're just playing a long game, meaning you have to eventually overcome this to X degree. Yeah, well, God can make a guy fail. Forget about not helping him and putting barriers. He can make him fail. Why? Because well, I want to see if you're going to get up. I mean, that's part of the obstacles. Well, he failed. You see, again, it's all part of the justice. What does it say? Tzaddik, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll fall for seven times and then he'll get up. Sheva Palma and Yipo. Hashem says, I want a certain amount of discouragement in your life. Correct. Because I want to see what you're going to do and with that discouragement. you're not going to be as productive as, let's say, the Tzaddik in the time. That's the right. I want to see what you're going to do with that. Exactly. And that's your assignment. It's a tough assignment. But that's what the assignment is, you know? How, how do you, if it's so... Now, there are stories of people with modern Ruach HaKodesh, not the, not the one in the time of Chazal. I'm talking about the modern Ruach HaKodesh. Yeah, okay, yeah. At the that they were able to say, for a certain instance, this is why this is happening to you. Or this is what, is, what it is. You mean they were saying about themselves or to no, you? About, about, they went to the rabbi, you went to, to even at that Okay, that's Ruach HaKodesh. But it's not the same Ruach It's not like a Nevoah. It's, it's no, no, no. I told you, there's the Ruach HaKodesh, which right. is like Nevoah, but it's right. whatever. So and then there's... So yeah, that's a yadia. Yeah, yeah. So they're able to tune into a certain yadia. Yeah, right? some people can so do, that, sure. do that. Sure, that's right. You know, sure. Yeah. So anytime a person has yisurim, yeah, the first reaction should be the first person with my sort of yeah, midah kenegel midah. Yes. And then you, you should also know that maybe it's part of the because of a previous life. It has nothing to do with you doing anything I mean, just the way the way your yeah, life is set up that's right so like do we have to think in those do we could we take this as an echama or should we always think in the term in terms of let me find the midah can I get midah and well, that's two types, what I should be doing I don't yeah well there are two types of yesurin an assignment is usually a gilgal because it's lifelong mm-hmm. right and then there's the uh, yesurin that happens you know, in, 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 uh, you know the, they're temporary, you know. An assignment is a permanent form of Yisurin, yeah. if it's a, not a great life. And then there's the uh, temporary ones that happen every so often, you know. So that's usually because of some type of Chet. It could be because of a Gilgal, but, you know, more often than not, it could be a specific type of Chet that a person is doing, but it could be a Gilgal. But the assignment Yisurin, or the Yisurin, the suffering that comes from the assignment itself, is almost always because of a previous Gilgal. And that's why yeah, a person has this assignment, you know. Somebody so. that doesn't have Siat and Mishmaya, and the Rabbi was saying that that's a terrible thing. If you don't have Siat and Mishmaya. Yes. But really, if you say Gedolim, Lamato, and Noelim Ha'emes, maybe he's going to be even higher than the Tzadikim. That could be a reason, but usually, uh, well, we, yeah, I mean, so something that he should earn more reward, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, could be. It's not necessarily a terrible thing. That, that, that's called tzaddikim suffer, which we're going to talk about uh, probably next week, you know. That's called tzaddikim suffer in order to raise other people also. 
and they suffer through obstacles. You see what I'm saying? So that also, but those are tzaddikim generally speaking. You know? Is it possible that somebody is not a tzaddik from the way we see it? Is that he should suffer in order to get obstacles in his ruchnia. Yeah. And he's not much there. He's not much there. Yeah. But he fought, and he 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 gets more reward than the tzaddik. Yes. Yes. So it's that, not necessarily a terrible thing if somebody... Yeah, oh yeah, yeah it, it could be that the Rambam says, you know, I want to give you more reward in the future world. So then it's, it's in a certain sense, it's part of the assignment. Part of the assignment. Yeah, it could be, sure. There's so many, it's impossible to describe. Even the Ramchal says, in the Derech Hashem, it's not possible for me to tell you every situation. Just to give you a general idea that it's extremely complex. Yeah, but oh yeah, of course, yeah. It's always a terrible thing if, if somebody's not Messiah. That's right, yeah. Well... It's terrible for the person, that's the assurance, yeah. Uh, but it could be God saying, I'm going to make it hard for you because I want you to get more that's reward. Well, I'm more hard for you, and therefore you're going to have to struggle more, and struggle more will give you a greater reward. That's 100% possible, yes. As a teacher, okay. What? Are you steady? As a teacher, parents sometimes complain, are you setting my son up for failure? <laughs> it's, it's, it's. It's, it's, a, it's a blood question because Baruch Hu is setting us up for failure but no, the condition to to what we're saying we should get up from that failure. The failure is part of the assignment. So he is setting you up for failure but that's your assignment to get up from the failure. You see? That's what the, that's certainly a possibility. You know? Can't wait till Mashiach. Till this is all over, right? <laughs> I know. It's just like it just... It goes on and on and on. I mean, you know, it, it, just, it just never ends, you know. 